Forza Italia Azzurri, Italy, come through victorious. They beat Spain in a penalty shootout and make it to the Euro 2020 final. 33 matches unbeaten. Unbelievable. We got Jimmy Conrad to recap the action as Italy beats Spain. And we will also preview England against Denmark. Euro 2020 semifinals action. Kego Lasso begins right now. Hey, everybody. We are finalists for the sports category of the People's Choice Podcast Awards. We appreciate all of you, all of you, and we hope you enjoy our show enough to nominate us to advance to the final round. To nominate, just make sure that you go to podcastawards.com forward slash app forward slash sign up. So to nominate Gego Lasso, podcastawards.com forward slash app forward slash sign up and then toggle down to the sports category and we're right there. We're included uh, the link at the top of this episode description as well. Thank you so much. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Que Golasso Italia Forza Azzurri. Hold on and beat Spain in penalties. Jimmy Conrad and his megaphone. Jimmy. Forza Italia. Never in doubt. Never in doubt, everybody. We said that Italy were going to win, and they did. Yeah, we did say that. Do it again with your megaphone. I like it. We, we, never in doubt, everybody. Never <laughs> in doubt. Okay? I feel like there's more emphasis when you use your megaphone. It's kind of good. It takes it to the next level for sure. You, please tell me you do it all the time. Like, honey, can you get me something from the kitchen that you get in the megaphone? Yo, she bought a bigger mega- megaphone, so then... It's not as cool anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the battle of the megaphones. Welcome, everybody, to Kiego Lasso, Euro 2020, and Italy. 33 matches now, unbeaten, and they beat Spain. I'm here with Jimmy, and we're going to talk about it. And they're in the final, and they will face whoever wins out of England and Denmark, which we will talk about after the break. But Jimmy Conrad, Talk to me about this game. It was, uh, I felt like it was watching like a classic movie because it kind of reminded me of how they used to play uh, as they brought it all the way to penalties. But in the end, Italy came through victorious. Talk to me about this game. Yeah, first and foremost, let's start with the starting lineups. I thought that Italy came out exactly how we expected, even though the only change would be the obvious one. Emerson was going to come in at left back for Spinozola, who ruptured his Achilles. I thought Emerson was actually one of the bright spots for Italy in the first half. He ended up coming out, I think, the 70th, 75th minute. He did look a little bit tired. I think his match fitness or lack thereof caught up to him. But I thought he was bombing forward. He was really the only threat from a wide position that I thought gave Spain some issues. On the flip side, though, Spain didn't start Alvaro Morata, which was, for me, a bit of a shock. Going with that false nine, they brought in Mikel Oyarzabal, even though it looked like Ferran Torres ended up being in that false nine spot. Yarsabal was out wide. And Danny Almo at the beginning as well, yeah. Yeah, all the, the, the front three, and they were creating a lot of numerical advantages. you got six midfielders out there, no, no striker. I thought that might work against them, but ultimately, the way they pressed, the way they maintained the ball, where they kept it, they were all over Italy. Italy didn't have a lot of answers. However, I do want to say that Italy are one of the few teams, Luis, in the world, national teams, that is, that, it, that just seem very comfortable with not having the ball. Yeah, all right, you can have it. We know where we're going to shift you and let you have the space. And we're not going to get rattled, but it did seem like there for a little bit, there was some vulnerability with Italy and they were lucky to get to halftime without giving up a goal. That's how well I thought Spain played in the first half. And then the second half, Italy hit him on a counter, very good counter, very good goal. And Signe, uh, excuse me, Chiesa with a fantastic finish. 
I was uh, the center backs for Spain, I think showed again that, that that's probably one of their vulnerable spots. So we'll see how they do in the final. That's what am I talking about? Spain is not even in the final, but how Italy, <laughs> how know, they'll do in another game in the third place. Yeah, I guess exactly in the third place game that doesn't exist. Yeah. So, so that's kind of, I'm all over the place. I was so emotional watching this game, but I do want to say that Italy, I thought sat back a little bit more than I expected. And then when they got the lead, the fact that they gave up a goal to Avar Morata, who's now the super sub in this one, where they allowed that entry pass into midfield and then let them turn and run at the back line. That's very un-Italian-like when I think about what they're known for, and especially with the lead. They should yeah. have been continuing to force the play out wide, which they were doing for a while. But then Mancini made a few subs that I think disrupted the flow defensively. And that ultimately, got, they got unlocked, and Alvaro Morata scored a great goal. And now, honestly, I'm just going to jump to penalties. I'm gutted for that guy that he was the one that missed the deciding one because yeah, it's a shame. It's so much crap at home, and uh, I feel really bad for him. I I really do feel bad because he already was receiving horrific uh, messages from stupid people and horrible people, and now, obviously, like you said, it's probably going to happen again. And they have short memories because they don't realize that had it not been for Alvaro Morata, they wouldn't even get to the penalty shootouts in the first place. But uh, one of your most important points that you just said there, I, I thought Italy were very um, smart as the game began, but towards the second half, they were leaving huge spaces. Like Alvaro Morata's goal was fantastic, but Morata had like a day to like turn, go forward, play the one-two or the combination with Danny Almo to equalize. And I, you know, more than 70% possession in this game, 16 shots, I believe, for Spain, right? Every mm -hmm. I, Spain was the better team in the course of the game. Like, you just have to say, I thought it was their best performance in the tournament. Uh, I mean, it pays dividends to Italy for not, you know, giving the game away in that time because obviously, like you said, they're very happy not having the ball and stuff. But as soon as I went to penalties, Jimmy, I knew that Italy were going to win. I just, I just knew it. Like, Donnarumma is also such an imposing goalkeeper, isn't he? He's gigantic. He is. He is. What I was going to say with regard to pens also was the fact that I thought Spain benefited beating Switzerland in penalties because they already saw the Swiss take penalties before against France. So what was it like three the, extra times already for them too or something, right? Wasn't it yeah. Like well, the, there was a lot of that energy and mental energy and emotional energy that goes into it. But, but Italy had the benefit of not, they hadn't played penalties yet. They hadn't been in penalties yet. So yeah, Spain obviously can do their homework and know, you know, who takes it. And, you know, they can guess that, um, yeah, Jorginho is going to step up and he likes to go, well, that guy's good at penalties. But, you know, they had, but because of the track record, because Italy now had these these shooters and knew where they were going to go because Spain had to do it against Switzerland, I just thought that that then kind of worked against Spain in some ways because neither had to use different shooters or the guys that were shooting, like, do I go to the same corner that I scored against Switzerland or do I go to the same, you know, different spot and maybe mess up my flow? So I thought that played in Italy's hands too. So once it did go to penalties, I was thinking the same thing as you. I think Italy's going to do it. Yeah, and that they did. And well done, Italy. Unbelievable. Uh, Jorginho doing his thing in penalties. So smooth. We've seen it, obviously, how he does it with Chelsea. So, uh, by the way, Italian fans, thank Brazil a little bit, okay? Brazil-born Jorginho, <laughs> by the way. Uh, but there you have it. Italy in the final. And this journey continues. And I can't... I mean, listen. I mean, it's been quite a remarkable tournament, but... Should we have seen this coming? Because it was kind of, I'm not going to call them a dark horse. That's ridiculous. But, you know, when we're talking about favorites, France were always in the conversation. 
Belgium too. We didn't think, you know, England wasn't going to be too much of a surprise going far. Italy, amazing. I mean, we're talking about 33 matches unbeaten, Jimmy. It's not like it just began in the mm-hmm. tournament. Like, they, they were doing their thing before this. Does it surprise you? And I think I've asked you this, but I'll ask you again now that they're in the final. Does it surprise you that they're in the final? Or um, did you expect this as you saw that first game uh, when they kicked everything off on that Friday? I think it helped to see their performance against Turkey, that first game of the whole tournament. Because Turkey were everybody's darling dark horses. I think we both came on here and thought, ah, Turkey's going to be the team and maybe Denmark and a couple other teams we were throwing out. And then they absolutely decimated Turkey to the point where, okay, I think these Italians might actually look like one of the favorites to go through. At that point, it was hard to go against them. And then as the tournaments progressed, it's still difficult to to see them. They gave up their first goal in the round of play to Alvaro Morata. And in, in the 90 minutes, that is. And yeah. it's a very good goal. I thought they got sliced and dice. They looked like kids all, even playing against grown men in that particular play. They just didn't make the plays, weren't covering each other, weren't, weren't switched on ultimately, which was uh, un-Italian, like I, like I mentioned before. They were 8-1 to one to win it all. And I thought that was really good value. Now they're plus, well, they're probably lower now, but they were at plus 225 before the game kicked off. I'm not surprised. I think that Roberto Mancini, has done a very good job of creating an identity for the team on both sides of the ball. I think they're getting good performances from players of all ages. And that identity is clear. I think that when we look at Mancini or Italy and we compare it to Spain, we even saw it with Spain. What was their best 11 players? I believe if you look at Luis Enrique's team, or even if you ask him or even the fans or the journalists, was that ever really settled or answered who their best 11 is? And I think that's going to have to be their biggest thing they're going to need to figure out ahead of the World Cup in 2022. They got 18 months to figure that out. Yeah. For Italy, I think it's pretty clear who their, their best 11 is. And we saw a good glimpse of it, assuming everybody's healthy, of course, because Spinozola would have started over Emerson. But outside of that, I think they, their 11's pretty set and they know yeah, who they, they are and what themselves. they're about. Yeah, yeah it, 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 honestly. And when you have a team that picks itself, then it, it makes a difference. It really does make a difference. Because I've been on teams where on both where unsure what your best 11 is and a team that definitely knows who their best 11 is and the team that, that knows always performs better. Yeah, yeah. Well, now Italy are two games away, everybody, from equaling the longest unbeaten run in international history. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah, so two games away. Brazil did it way back. Uh, let me check the time here. <laughs> 93 to 96, 35 games where they didn't lose a game. And Italy right now are two games away from that. Uh, Also, Spain did it in 2007 to 2009. And now they're two games away from doing it, which is uh, pretty, pretty remarkable. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Final thoughts from this game uh, before uh, we take a break and we look ahead to tomorrow. I would say from a Spanish perspective, the margins are so fine at the highest levels, real thin line between success and failure. There's a lot to gain from this. I didn't think Spain was going to be ready to perform and get to a semifinal. I thought that maybe this particular group of players, maybe the mesh of them wasn't, wasn't right, but it seems like they're pretty close to being a favorite for the 2022 World Cup. So they You have to them. hand it to them for going this far. A hundred percent. And I think you you unearthed a couple of players that you know you can trust at the international level. It's one Pedri. thing. Pedri, who might might and probably should win whatever you know young player award is going to be part of the Euros, he should win that. 
Pedri yeah. was excellent. Uh, pa Torres is another player you can trust. Danny Olmo, I think, really showed well. Ferran Torres. Like, they're starting to unearth these players from a Spanish perspective that you should be very excited about the future. And, and like I said before, keep their heads up. They do have a couple areas to maybe fine-tune, but outside of that, it's looking good. And then from Italy's perspective, holy crap, keep it going. <laughs> you know, how can you, can you parlay this momentum into another good performance? And I don't know, honestly, I thought Spain probably deserved a little bit more than what they got, but Italy did what they had to do to get through. And that's kind of what we think about with Italians. They just know how to scrape their way into getting results in big matches and they did it yet again. So they've kind of found this new modern version of, of how to play maybe a little bit different than the old versions of Italy that we, we, that we know and love, yeah. but they still kind of kept their identity of not learning how to scrape by and, and win big matches. So yeah. that's a perfect combination for them. So I can't wait for the final, no matter if they play England or Denmark. Yeah. It's like when the teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were so good in the nineties and then they remade it and you were like, all right, yeah, they're like stronger and bigger. Nineties uh, Italy 2.0. Uh, but anyway, Italy make uh, its 10th appearance is going to make its 10th appearance in a Euro or world cup final. It's that, that's the second most by any country. Who's number one, Jimmy Conrad, who do you think? Hmm. Think about all the big teams who've made more appearances in finals combined. Well, I mean, I already it's helped you. Be Brazil, right? Well, no, no, Euro and World Cup. Oh, Euro. So, Germany, so, Germany, Germany. There you go. You have it. Yeah, 14. Yeah. That's right. But Italy win, uh, amazing. 33 games, two from the longest international run in history. Well done, Italia. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Jimmy Conrad will use his megaphone to <laughs> once again express his love for Denmark. And I will so show my side for England. We'll show me that megaphone. That. We will see about that, Luis. <laughs> Say we will take, we will be right back with that megaphone. Hey, everybody, buckle your seatbelts. We will be right back. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We just realized that buckle your seatbelts doesn't mean anything, but it sounds so good in megaphone. It doesn't make any sense, but <laughs> I think you're picking up what I'm putting down, and it's just tone. We're getting aggressive because we're excited for the second semifinal of the European Championship. Absolutely. 80% how you say it, 20% what you say. Uh, okay, so hey, everybody, Denmark against England. Jimmy Conrad, what a game. On one side, you have a team that has not conceded a goal, a plethora of talent, both starting and, and on the bench. And on the other side, a dark horse who have been, you know, inspired by tragedy and now used it as a weapon. And now they're in the semifinals. Amazing stuff. Talk to me about this game. Okay, I will, <laughs> without my megaphone. So the only chance I give Denmark here, they have to score first. 
That's your thing. That, that's your that's your chapter. Honestly, that's the headline of your yeah. That, that is that's my headline. If if Denmark really want to have a legitimate chance, they have to make England be uncomfortable. They have to put England in a situation that they have yet been in this tournament. You have to find some vulnerabilities in that English defense or in their confidence at the moment. You got to give you got to give them a little dent. The one thing that I'm hanging on from a Danish perspective is that the one big team, the number one team in the world that they happen to have in their group, Belgium, they came out and stomped on those guys. They scored first and they were very good in that first half. Yeah, now guns Belgium, blazing. Yeah. Now, Belgium had the luxury of bringing this guy named Kevin De Bruyne off the bench and he scored a wonder goal and set up another. And that was the game. It was done and dusted and Belgium came back and won 2 1. But there was something in that performance from Denmark that I really appreciated. And that was before they switched to a back three. They're now in a back three. They've scored a bunch of goals. They've got, what, 10 in their last three games. And they have a team of destiny vibe. I'm sure English fans could say the same thing. It's coming home. It's at Wembley. We haven't given up a goal yet. And I would completely agree with that narrative and everything. I just don't think this is going to be as straightforward. We thought that maybe this game with Italy-Spain would be a little bit more straightforward. Italy just were a little bit better in all areas of their, of their team. Throughout the tournament, Spain did show some vulnerabilities, but Spain came out punching. And I think that Denmark has to do the same. Denmark doesn't gain anything by sitting back and looking to counter on the team that is set up to not be countered. And 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 so And they know that. I think they, they know, know that, it. Right? Oh, 100%. They, they know, know that. It. I mean, to your point, and what well, as you were talking, it's a very good point. You mentioned the Belgium game, by the way, you know, the Czech Republic game they scored in the fifth minute, okay? Against Wales, their first goal came in the 27th. All right, you took your time, Denmark. All right, and then against Russia, they scored in the 38th minute. They've scored in the first half, aside from the Finland game, in every game. So they they have a point to prove. So and they have nothing to lose. I mean, nothing, they're, they're here. They have to nothing to lose. Nothing. nothing. To lose. They, they've already faced something that was way more important than this game. They have nothing to lose. Nothing. So when you look at this Danish side, who are you focusing on? Well, I'm looking at. Dom's guard, who has filled in for Christian Eriksen and filled in quite capably. He's 20 years old and he looks like he's up for it, which is great. Hoiberg has been excellent. Uh, him and Delaney and the kind of the double pivot in front of the back three have been excellent. And then Male, who plays at uh, Atalanta, bombing up, up and down. Like that Ooh, matchup. That him, cross. <laughs> him, yeah. Oh my God, unbelievable. Him versus Kyle Walker is going to be a really, really good matchup and one to watch. But I think Casper Dolberg is... From, from an attacking side of the ball, he's got three goals in his last two games as a starter. The only two games he started, he's got three goals. So he's feeling very good about himself. He's the one that finished that unbelievable cross. And then I think it's going to get to a point where it could come down to goalkeeping. Who, Which one makes the big save, the timely save? To You're going to have to have it. You always need your goalkeeper to be somewhat hot if you're going to win a tournament. So which one's going to step up and make those saves? Both of them obviously have a nice track record of making big saves. So... It's a coin flip ultimately, but I like that Mala Kyle Walker matchup. And then of course, Casper Dolberg versus the two center backs from England. This is an interesting one. I think that the Danes can beat you in a couple different ways. They can use the width, or if you give them the space in the middle, they can use that to break you down. Braithwaite seems to be up and around. Polson is now kind of the super sub off the bench with the emergence of Dolberg up top. And then Domsgaard is, is he's tricky for 20 years old. He does a very good job of finding gaps between the lines and then running at you, turning kind of in those half spaces and getting that little quarter turn and and uh, attacking you in a way that uh, could hurt you. So I think that this is going to be a team unlike any other that England have played, faced so far. 
And I think it's going to be a big challenge for him. And we'll see how I'm really curious, honestly, the first five or 10 minutes, the type of pressure that Denmark tries to put on England to see if they can force some mistakes. Yeah. Martin Braithwaite, by the way, uh, sneakily uh, building up some good stats in this tournament. Uh, nobody has completed more dribbles, attempts uh, and one-on-ones than Martin Braithwaite. <laughs> and he, he, he goes over 80% success rate uh, in terms of that number and and he creates a lot of chances so it's interesting to see how they'll do there and to your point i, I agree i and this is a totally different animal england's about to face because of all the players that you just mentioned and the fact that they have nothing to lose and they have you know do not sound too over romantic sort of the the embodiment and the aura of christian erickson all behind them just you know pushing them through you know, and it's it's going to be quite something. And by the way, a lot of these players obviously play in the Premier League. They they don't care about Wembley. They don't care about being like, right, they're right. just going to go for it. Um, mm-hmm. All right, well, let's move to England then. Because, you know, on paper, this is the favorite. No, they haven't conceded a goal. They also have their own ghosts that they want to get rid of. They, they've never made a final in the European Championships. They've never made a, a final at all since 1966 in the World Cup. They, and, and they're at home. And they want to show their fans once again that this is a no fluke. And this is now a, a time the, for it to come home. Is it coming home? Or are you going to Casper Schmeichel it? What do you think? <laughs> no, Casper Schmeichel did have a press conference where he got questioned, kind of a dumb question from an English journalist. And yeah, stupid. that it's never come home before. You know, the question <laughs> was like, well, England going to bring it home. How are you feeling about it? He's like, it's never been home before. And he's right. And Denmark have actually won one in 92. So it's Denmark won. England zero and the European trophies. But with regard to England, this particular group seems to be somewhat immune to the criticism. I feel like they're pretty resilient and they've been playing well and getting results even leading up to the tournament. So, and Gareth Southgate seems to be getting the most out of these players. And when he starts, even though you want to criticize, he seems to be pushing all the right buttons. This, though, might be maybe too big of a step because I feel like if Denmark can score first, the crowd will be given that. Uh, here we go again. We're, we Maybe we won. And nothing would be more English than them having this tremendous run, not giving up a goal at any point in the tournament, and then losing to Denmark, who they should beat on paper in the semifinals to not get to the final that's going to be at Wembley. So that said, it's hard to go against England. They've just been doing everything right. They've been really stout defensively. That double pivot, Phillips and Rice, uh, ahead of Luke Shaw, who's arguably the best Left back in the tournament, uh, Harry Maguire, John Stones, very solid. Pickford's been making the saves. Kyle Walker doing the business, even if Reese James comes in there. I think they'll play back four. And then really it's going to be, do you go with Jaden Sancho again? Do, who do you start up top? Mason Mount underneath with Kane and Sterling on the other. you got to go Sterling and Kane for sure. Then it's a matter of whether you go with Mount or Saka. I think Mount will start because I think they're going to go with the back four. And then it's either Saka or Sancho. And I still feel like Jack Grealish is going to be a super sub, unfortunately, because I still think he could find a place and should find a place in that starting 11. But if the yep. other guys are playing well, the other guys are playing well. So it's really, for me, the Saka versus Jaden Sancho. And I think what you need to look at as a manager, if you're Gareth Southgate, is uh, Joachim uh, Mala from, from Atalanta, the Danish left back, is so good going forward. Which one of these guys, Saka or Sancho, is going to do some of the thankless running to slow him down a little bit? Because you're going to be the first line of pressure to make him do predictable things. Or if you're not going to mark him, he's going to have more space to do what he wants against Kyle Walker. Yeah, and how 100% Bukayo Saka will be, of course, after he's coming from a knock. My instinct, and I totally agree, my instinct is that Saka will return. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I think Grealish will once again have to uh, sit on the bench for this one. But uh, it it all depends, obviously, on Southgate's decision as he reverts to a 4 
back four formation because that's the key. I mean, you know, that, that to me is the most important thing. And the partnership between Harry Maguire and John Stones is going to be massive in this mm-hmm. game. Because mm-hmm. if you're saying like Denmark are going to begin this game like at 300 miles an hour, then everything begins with those two in front of Pickford. Like it just, it just does. And they have to be, they have to be very good. But I think you make a very good point. The very first one that you made is that Denmark need to score first mm-hmm. because if England score first, then what does Denmark do? Do you chase it? Obviously you have to, which leaves you more vulnerable and like goes into the hands of England, which they like to play that, right? Or do you sit and wait until the final minute? So, you know, you, you, they have to score. They have to dictate this game. It can be the other way around. And that's going to be very difficult against a very good England side. I think what else could potentially happen is whether Gareth Southgate wants to match the back three of Denmark, and maybe that would make it a little bit more straight up. So at that point, you could potentially sacrifice you're going to sacrifice probably Mount, but Mount could go wide if you wanted. And then you go with the back three yourself. Kyle Walker would be in the three with Maguire and Stones. Shaw would be the wing back and you'd bring in Reese James. And if you had Reese James against Mala, you could neutralize that pretty quickly and not have to worry and hope and hope, right? That Saka and or Sancho will do the work. You just have somebody that will do the work. So that could be a solution and not one that I'd be too surprised to see, but then you have to sacrifice one of your better attacking players going forward. It's a tough one. I'm curious. That'll be something to watch out for as well. One thing I did want to make note of is that Denmark are very good on set pieces. Uh, Thomas Delaney scored against uh, Czech Republic five minutes in, as you mentioned, but they have some big guys. You got Christensen, you got Kier, you got Vestergaard, you have Delaney, you have guys. And, and which goes back way. to my Maguire stones point as well there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so, and also England are very good on set pieces, but now you have a team that could maybe neutralize that defensively and also be a bit of a threat attacking wise. This game could come down to a set piece. I am ready, by the way, to probably see. I'm just saying, I'm ready to probably see the performance of a lifetime from Casper Schmeichel. I really am. I'm, I'm ready for that. I'm feeling that you're going to need to do something very special to beat him uh, on Wednesday. It's gonna be. It's gonna be. I just think you know he knows England so well. Just to build up to everything, it was his comment. We're gonna win this for Kristen. You know what I mean? It's a. It's a lot. He's, you know, it's just, it's going to be very intriguing to see, but it all comes down to the formation, as you mentioned. All right. Dare I say, <laughs> do you have any good betting tips here for us? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to go and I'll, and I've already raised my hand and said this a few times that my family's Danish. So I have a little bit of bias here. Yeah. I do think though, for the, the way the game needs to play out for the Danes to be competitive. I like Denmark, Denmark to score first plus 175. I like that value a lot. If that doesn't happen to what you said before, England's just going to lock it down. And I don't know if Denmark has the the answers to figure that out. They might fight and scratch a little bit, but England know what to do. And they've been doing that every single game of this tournament and the two games prior to that when they didn't give up a goal and the two uh, friendlies or World Cup qualifiers uh, prior to that. Then I like the draw after 90 minutes. It's a little bit more wishful thinking, but the draw after 90 minutes plus 240. I honestly wish I would have bet the draw today for Italy, Spain. You could kind of feel similar vibes where a little conservative to start in some ways, kind of poking and prodding to see how this game's going to go. Then the second half opens up a little bit and then you get a goal. And I could see a 1-1. I could see a 0-0 potentially. But Denmark have scored so many goals lately that I feel like they're going to find one and they're going to break through. And I just kind of have the line doing that. Now, I don't know what you think the game's going to be, but I have another line that I want to bring up to you. So I'll, I'll go to your, your thoughts 
Well, you know, as much as you have that connection with Denmark, I have that connection with England. So, you know, I'm so that's good for the audience here to listen to two Mm -hmm. perspectives, because I don't I think that Denmark is going to try very hard to get that opening goal. But I just honestly, I haven't seen any unless it's been individual mistakes like that moment in the Germany game where, mm-hmm. you know, John, John Stones and Raheem Sterling kind of miscommunicated themselves and uh, Mueller, uh, Thomas Muller missed mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, I just, I haven't seen anything from England and you're at home. I know that Denmark are coming with a lot, a lot, and this is going to be a very intriguing game, but I see England knocking it down once again. I, I'm still holding on to see what that score is, but if you, if you brought up that line, go ahead, bring it up. Cause uh, I know well, I'm gonna, to I'm me, gonna, England's winning. I just got to figure out what the score is. Okay. So let me, I found the line I was looking for. Okay. If you think it's going to be a draw and I like that both teams to score, I, I do think that Denmark's going to, they're going to put some pressure on England, whether it's they're chasing the game, they're getting back in or whatever it is. But I, I like if, if I'm going to continue my trend of Denmark scoring first, you can get good value on England to come back and draw or come back and win plus 400. And that's what happened against Belgium. Like Denmark came out guns blazing and they just couldn't hold off a team that just had a little bit more quality at the end. Yeah. So that's pretty good value to have the win and the draw. So you come from behind and win or draw plus 400. If you think Denmark's got that in them and England scores first and Denmark somehow scrapes it together and gets one and goes to a draw, come from behind, win or draw for them is plus 550. I wanted to throw that out there for you guys. With regard to England winning straight up, it is I mean, minus, one, minus 137. Yeah, they're they're no pretty point. heavy favorites, yeah. But plus 240 for the draw. I think that once it goes to extra time, that's, know, that's intriguing. But, but, but if you want to go to, I don't know, if you, if you think, what do you think the score is going to be? You think in under two and a half goals or? Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is not going to be a goal fest. Unless, like, the only way it's, I just, I mean, Denmark has proven to be such a great offensive threat, but this is a completely different mm-hmm, team mm-hmm. they're facing defensively. I mean, they, England have not conceded a goal. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that they're not going to concede a goal in this game. It's just there's I just there's no way I see them conceding more than two. Right. So no, that's fair. That's fair. So the England to Denmark win, win, it's because they score early and they hold them off and they hold it down. Yeah. Which is going to be tough because this English team haven't really had all their top attacking players on the field at the same time. And then you, to your point about Jack Grealish being on the bench, creating an impact. I mean, they have so many players that yeah, you, it's, we it's haven't crazy. even mentioned Phil Foden and you know, it's, it's right, right, it's, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's ridiculous. And and you'd like to think it'd be kind of fun to see actually Southgate have to scramble and put more attacking players on just to see what it would look like. Yeah. yeah. They might get into each other's way, but it would be kind of fun to see it. So England to win and under two and a half goals is plus two twenty. The draw, which is kind of where I am, and under two and a half goals, I could see zero zero or one one. Most likely, more one one is plus three hundred. Um, but it's well, tough. Those are it's good a tough ones. one. That's a tough one. I mean, there's there's plenty yeah. of good value on William Hill. It's just kind of obviously everybody has kind of a vibe or an instinct on what they want to do. But based on what I'm seeing, and I do want to say that I do have a little bit of Danish bias, of course. But but also leaving that Danish bias aside, if they really want to have a chance in this game, this is how I feel like they have to come out and they have to replicate that Belgium first half as much as humanly possible and put England on the back foot. If I was coaching them, I would try to do that as much as possible yeah. and, and let England know they're just not going to roll over. They're not going to go to the semis and roll over. You yeah. Know? You have to make it insanely uncomfortable. I mean, listen, like you've said the saying, I've said the saying, everybody has a plan until you punch them in the face. They literally Denmark has to punch them in the face like 
20 times. Like just keep everything. If it's a throw in, just be in their face. If it's a set piece, stand on the ball. Just like be the most annoying, petulant child that just won't go away. I think that's the only way Denmark can win. So Spain tried to do the same thing. And they had a great chance. Mikel Oriarsabal was onside and he got the ball stuck under his feet. Yeah, he missed his sitter. 10, 15 minutes. Of the, he couldn't even get out of his seat to hit the sitter. But he, but they did what they set out to do, which was, we're going to create a good opportunity. We have to take that chance. They now, were the better they, team. They were the better team. They were. They, they, they were the better team. They just needed to put it away. So, yeah. So, it does it, work. Just get Denmark, in there. Denmark can be in the same spot. I think they're going to get a look or two. And it's just a matter of whether they finish it or Pickford makes an amazing save or if there's some heroic defending by Stones or Maguire or Kyle Walker who anybody else. Because there so, is something so, to be said, Jimmy, about a team that hasn't conceded a goal. What happens psychologically to you when you concede that first goal? Exactly my point. So if Denmark can score first, then we're going to find out what this England team's made of. Yeah. And that's that's that. We will see. But I have England winning everybody, so don't worry. <laughs> don't worry about it. They're not going to score anyway. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, that's it. And the next time you hear from us, we'll be, well, recapping. Uh, actually, no, Jimmy will join for the preview uh, for Euro 2020 final. And we'll have some Copa America goodness as well there. Jimmy, before you leave, final thoughts, my friend. No, enjoy the game, everybody. Congratulations to all of our Italian listeners. That was fantastic. Spanish supporters, keep your head up. And uh, we are red. We are white. We are Danish dynamite. We are red. You have we to say that with the megaphone. We are Danish dynamite. We are red. We are white. We are Danish dynamite. Go on, Denmark. Oh Let's my go. God. I love it. Bring the megaphone everywhere. Uh, Jimmy Conrad, always a pleasure, buddy. Thanks, man. <laughs> He's gone. He's gone, everybody. <laughs> everybody. I want to thank Jimmy Conrad for joining me today. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Gegolasso Pod. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Please nominate us and vote for us for the People's Choice Podcast Awards. When you listen to this episode, you will know everything. And when you read the description, you can go to that link and vote for Gegolasso. We're on YouTube, cbsports.com and your CBS Sports app. Thank you so much for being part of our family. Have a great, great rest of your week. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo. And they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.